0: Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to a special edition of the DBR, Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am your host, Jason Evans. I am joined by Sam Klein and Donald Wine. Guys, we are just minutes after, well, a half hour or so after Duke has beaten Utah. That is when we're recording. Before we get to the game, I want to hear from each one of you about where you watched it and and the circumstances of you getting to the podcast, because it, it has not been easy to get the three of us together. Sam, why don't you start? All right. Well, I am uh, coming to you live from the parking lot
1: of the Hooters in Peoria, Arizona. I am down here this weekend to see some spring training baseball with my friends. They're all at the Padres game right now, um, and I skipped the game so that I could watch at whatever the nearest available sports bar was to the Padres Complex, which happens to be the Hooters. I enjoyed the game uh, in the company. Of a uh, surprisingly hooters. large number of middle-aged men who apparently frequent the Peoria, Arizona Hooters, uh, and and they were all very nice. But anyway, I'm uh, I'm talking to you guys from the parking lot.
0: Donald, your turn. What what are the circumstances of you arriving at the podcast?
1: So I was at the Duke DC watch party, um, and I live about two metro stops from there which during the day is about maybe 10 minutes but at night at midnight it's about uh, 45 minutes Um, so I left the watch party I went to the metro to try and catch it and the next train was coming in 18 minutes so instead of waiting for the train I ran out and hailed the first cab that I could find uh, to take me to within three blocks of my apartment and then I sprinted from the cab three and a half blocks and now here I am I'm short of breath but we are still dancing, ladies and gentlemen.
0: Absolutely, I like, I like that. That is that is the right attitude to have. We are still dancing. Um, Sam, let me start with you. Let's let's actually get to the game. Hey, what the heck? Let's talk a little bit about Duke versus Utah. The ugliness that <laughs> resulted in Duke winning sixty three to fifty seven. Um, Sam, uh, I, uh, you said you wanted to begin because you had something you wanted to ask me about the game. I did uh, last week on the preview. I believe that you hit
1: the most on um, Justice Winslow potentially being overwhelmed uh, by going back home to play in this elite or in this Sweet Sixteen, and then now the Elite Eight game uh, in Houston. So, Jason, how do you feel about Justice Winslow playing in the Sweet Sixteen in his hometown and being overwhelmed by family and friends who all want to go to the game and 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 not having time to really focus on the game?
0: Well, I, I will uh, I will own up to the fact that, that I was the most concerned about it last week, but if there's one thing, one overriding fact that we have discovered over the course of a year of podcasting, it is that when Jason predicts something, it will be wrong, <laughs> whether it be our, our opponent's three-point percentage. By the way, when I talked about Utah last week, I talked about how well they would shoot three-pointers. 25% three-point shooting later, <laughs> but yeah, the big thing was me being concerned about justice, and um, uh, my concerns were not founded at all. But but Sam, go ahead and continue. Give us your analysis of what uh, what you saw and enjoyed um, in that game. I, I, I let me. As far as justice is concerned, the, the, when they threw up the statistic that said he'd scored more than half of Duke's points in the second half. That's when I knew that I was going to be taking some heat for, for, uh, for saying that he might not have a good game. I was wrong. I was wrong.
1: Yeah. So, um, to, to your point about Utah's shooting, I think the one thing that we failed to cover last week uh, in previewing this game is that this game was going to be played in a muted black box theater and not in a basketball stadium. Um, so, you, you could see on the TV, and I, like I said, I was watching it at a bar, so I couldn't hear exactly what was going on at the game. Um, but I could see that they had those big curtains up um, and it looked like none of the fans could see the game because they were all basically sitting on the floor. Uh, and this neither, is neither could the assistant the coaches. Yeah, and neither, it's just, could, like no one, could, no one could see no the game except for the head coaches and the referees and and it appears the referees couldn't see the game either. Um, but uh, I think that's, not, well, I, I think we'll get to that. But that's not as important. We don't want to talk about, we don't want to focus on the referees. Um, but, you know, the state of college basketball in 2015 is that, is that these big postseason tournaments get played in these awful, awful places that are not designed for basketball. And the result, uh, the main result, and we've heard Duke players and, and Duke coaches talk about this before, and people from other programs, is that um, the consequence of playing in these weirdly shaped arenas is that the players can't figure out how to shoot. Um, and, and we saw that tonight on both sides of the ball. Uh, most of the successful offense happened at the rim uh, and in the first half DeLon, well, Don Wright really wasn't all that useful for Utah for most of the game. He dealt with foul trouble, obviously in the first half. Um, but in particular for Utah, their scoring all came from the two big guys in the first half, and and really from nowhere else. And and we talked about last week how dynamic, uh, you know, and capable their um, their backcourt is at scoring. And we didn't see any of that tonight. Uh, it sort of felt like a like a downer because we didn't really see the Utah team that we that we expected to see, and then. And then the same thing for Duke, um, although Jaleel Okafor really didn't have, have a game tonight, he seems to be really frustrated by the double team. Um, and maybe that's something that we can talk about because I think that Gonzaga is going to present a lot of the same problem um, for Jaleel on offense that, that Utah did. Um, but, you know, as, as, we, as we started with, um, the, the big hero tonight was Justice Winglow. He made a ton of great plays, uh, finished in traffic and was all over the place. You could tell that he was really fired up. He did have the one moment in the second half where he made the three um, and then failed to get back on defense, I think, because he was a little bit too excited. Um, but he carried the team tonight. Tyus Jones had a few big big plays, and uh, once again, um, the freshmen on this team show more poise than you could ever sort of expect um, from, from these kids in their first experience in the Sweet 16. Uh, but, Donald, what do you have to add to that? So, uh, well, first of all, I think, uh, you know, getting back to Justice Linslow, I think every game should be in Houston from now on uh, because he was the dominating force in the game on both sides. Uh, He was actually one assist shy of a seventh 0-0 game. He did not get an assist, uh, so he did not get the 0-0. But he filled up the stat sheet in every other category Uh, including a couple turnovers and fouls. But, I mean, that's what happens when you're trying to go for the 0-0. But uh, I I think he he played magnificently. He was clearly hyped up about being in Houston, and he clearly wanted to put on a good show. But he also, uh, you know, for most of the game, he was within the flow of the game. There was a couple times, like you said, I think think Nolan Smith on Twitter um, said something after that little sequence you mentioned with the three-pointer that he made, but then he didn't get back on defense. Uh, basically, calling out justice saying, "Hey, you're doing great, but I need you to step up on defense too. We need we need you to play both sides." Um, but he really knuckled down on both sides, and I think he did very well. Um, the The good thing about us getting this game out of our system, as far as shooting wise, in a new state, in in a stadium type of football stadium type of atmosphere, is that we are playing in football stadiums from here on out. So we better get used to it. Um, and I think we settled down after the ugliness of the first like eight to ten minutes of the game um, where teams were – I mean, I, I'm sure there was enough bricks to, to stack all the way up to the ceiling um, between both teams in the first eight eight to ten minutes of the game. But uh, I think we, we we leveled out, and when when DeLon Wright got into foul trouble, um, there was a point where we attempted to take control of the game at that point. And uh, we kind of took it a little bit, but then we let them back into it right at the end of the half um, when they went on a 5-0 or 7-0 run to end the half. But uh, I think in the second half, we we, we stuck with our guns. We, uh, we actually played really well, I think, until we started playing stall ball with about seven minutes left. There was a point where uh, once we started playing stall ball, we actually didn't score points for four minutes. But we also ran off six minutes of, of game clock. So um, I think that y- you take the good with the bad. But I-, I think there's a lot to build on. There's also a lot to be proud of. And uh, for them to gut out against a great, you know, Utah team uh, to make the lead eight, I think is very, very good.
0: So a few of my takeaways from the game and um, I've had the opportunity to look at the boxer and look at the stats more than you guys have being stuck at Hooters and being stuck um, in the Metro and and uh, in a taxi cabin and, and the such. So uh, I'm going to give you a couple of statistical things that that I found very interesting. They had 10 more offensive rebounds than us. And we still won. Jalil scored just six points. We still won. Quinn, Tyus, Matt and Grayson. Who are pretty much our entire you know one and two guard rotation our, our backcourt didn't hit a single three pointer and we still won and we still won we kind of won easily like you said we went into stall ball with 7 minutes left and and it allowed them to to compress the margin a little bit but um you know really impressive that we found other ways to to uh, control the game and uh prevent them from scoring and get buckets when we needed it um, you know, and we had a fairly comfortable lead throughout much of the second half. Um, I, the game felt almost more like a rugby match or Australian rules football or something like that than it did a basketball game. I mean, Duke fans and and other people, uh, not Duke fans, but other people have really criticized teams like Virginia and, and a few other teams who who played, you know, such tough physical defense. Um, and, and then we ended up in a game very similar to it. And I think we were playing very tough defense and it really helped us out a tremendous amount. Um, you know, and by the way, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, I know it wasn't just me. The final few minutes of that game took forever. It was unbelievable how long it took to get that game finished. I, I was hoping to watch a lot of the end of the Michigan state um, uh, game with Oklahoma. It turned out our game ended, and the Michigan State game was almost over as well. Um, and you know, it doesn't really bother me that Gonzaga, uh, that sorry, that Utah decided they're going to make us shoot free throws. Um, they had to. Um, but I was a little bothered at the very end. You know, they they got a little bit punkish toward the end when the game was really over. Um, uh, and I'm I'm actually glad that the referees let um uh made the teams come back on the floor um and they let quinn shoot the last free throw that ended up giving duke a six point win because do you know what the line in vegas in this game was either you guys five and five and a half. Half, huh?
1: five five and a half.
0: half meaningless free throw that allowed everyone who bet on duke to win money so we were we, were, we deserved to cover that game the folks who bet on duke who said duke was going to win by more than five and a half were absolutely right And I'm glad that Quinn shot a meaningless free throw that that allowed all the uh, all the all the punters out there, as they're known in Britain, all the betters to make money on Duke. Uh, They deserved it. Um, And and the last thing I want to say about this game, a friend of mine sent an email to me tonight and he said, if you're sitting in the first three rows of the arena, the chances are you've received a pass from a Utah player at some point during this game. Mm -hmm. Um, Utah was Utah was really sloppy with the ball, Um, you know, not. Not a not a pretty effort uh, on their part at all, guys. Do y'all have anything else you want to add about this game, or should we start talking a little bit about what's next for the Blue Devils? Donald, why don't you go ahead?
1: Okay, so the first uh, the first stat I want to mention out uh, was um, Quinn actually did not make a three uh, three pointer, which is the first time in I believe 45 games that he has not made a three pointer. So that was an interesting note. He only attempted one, and that was in the first couple minutes of the ball game. So it was kind of interesting uh, to see that dynamic. But also, you were mentioning Jason about how long the last, um, uh, last part of the game took. And I think I read somewhere that the last three minutes of game time took 34 minutes to complete. And, and that's just long. And, and you know what? And against uh, the UCLA-Gonzaga game um, also had a similar thing because UCLA started fouling. Uh, Gonzaga with about three minutes left in the game. And that game... Took. I mean, our game was supposed to start at nine forty-five, and I think it was delayed by fifteen minutes because of how long that game took at the end as well. So uh, it was kind of a similar situation, but we, you know, it took a long time to finish that game out. What were you saying, Sam? I, I was going to say that um, Jason alluded to the defense and also to um, to the fact that Utah's players kind of got chippy at the end of the game. Uh, I attribute that chippiness to how well Duke played the press tonight. Um, they they. They earned that one 10-second call in the second half, uh, and they were all over the place on that press. Uh, Utah was clearly not prepared for it. And, you know, one of the themes of this season uh, has been how often Coach K has been, uh, has been willing and able to change the makeup of the defense to fit the opponent. Uh, and, and in years past, you know, people have, people have criticized, I think, uh, his defensive game plan because it's like, well, we're just going to play that aggressive Man to man, that you know, cuts off the passing lanes, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Um, once again this year, we you know, in this game, we saw that press defense making a huge difference in containing Kylan Wright and the rest of the uh, of the Utah backcourt. And I think uh, I I may be remembering this incorrectly, but I'm pretty sure with under a minute left, Utah still have not scored fifty points yet, and and they ended up scoring I think it was fifty seven, um, but they did it you know on 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 all that the garbage scoring that happens at the end of these games. Um, the Dukes' defense really shut them down in a way that I don't think they were prepared for, and, and that's probably what led to them getting chippy at the end of the game um, because they were frustrated that, that they, you know, I don't want to say they didn't prepare correctly, but they weren't prepared for, you know, what what got thrown at them. Uh, and I think that that is the thing that the that the Duke coaching staff is probably the most excited about coming out of this game is that is that they blitzed them on defense and Utah really wasn't ready for it.
0: Same, yeah, but so one thing
1: one thing about the, the quick note about the 10-second uh, call. If you notice in that in that call, um, they inbounded the ball and Tyus had just made a layup and he's most yelling at his players to get in the press in the press uh, formation. And this is about five seconds after they had inbounded the ball. So naturally, once he went in front of the ball and said press press press. Utah basically took the ball, which they were almost at half court, and they probably had 30 feet to cross the line with. They passed it backwards and said, press break, press break. But at that point, it was eight seconds in, and they didn't have a chance to actually set up the press breaker, and that's what to the 10-second call. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. no, definitely.
0: Sam, I wanted to point out your your statistic was correct. Utah did not pass the 50-point mark until they made a three-pointer with 49 seconds left. With one minute left to go in the game, it was 57-48 to Duke. So, yeah, really impressive defense to hold them to less than 50 points for the first 39 minutes of the game. Um, Two other really, really, really quick things, and then I want to move on. The first was, um, I think as impressive Um, uh, you know, a variety of things, as Justice Winslow did. My favorite Justice Winslow moment of the game was um, uh, Tyus threw a lob to him that he came up a little bit short um, on a fast break. And, you know, as you might imagine, a a guy like him, he went way up in the air on it, and, uh, and he just couldn't quite put it in the basket. But his momentum carried him, oh, a good five to seven feet out of bounds. The entire other nine guys on the floor began rushing the other direction. He is Far and away, momentum carrying him away from the Duke basket, um, and he is out of bounds. He turns, starts coming back the other direction, and he ended up blocking a fast break layup. Um, his his ability to move from one end of the floor to the other um, is unmatched in college basketball. I am absolutely convinced of that. Um, if you're an NBA scout that was watching this game, that was the moment that you saw that you went – Okay, there's little question that this kid is going to be a huge, huge impact player at the next level. I'm not talking about it, you know, because I'm trying to urge him to move on. But, but I think that is the one thing he does more than anything else that is like uh, on a different level from everyone else in college basketball right now is his ability to move up and down the floor at at incredible speed with incredible athleticism. And then the other thing is, and this will be our parting shot on Utah: How much did you all hate that low angle camera? Oh, it's awful. We got some great shots of referee butts. That's what I saw. Yeah. I saw a lot of. It, it, saw a lot of referee ass.
1: It was great. Um, it was great in replay, um, but it was awful in the. I, I, I never want to see anything in game that's other than the standard camera view because that's how I'm used to watching basketball. Um, I, I don't understand why they bother with it.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I think they sensed that it sucked because they would let you they sort of follow the player dribbling the ball up the court a little bit. But then as soon as it got anywhere close to where there might be some actual action, they went back to that high angle, you know, shot to sort of say, hey, we showed you the referee's ass. Now we're going to show you what you really want, came to see, which is the actual play of the game. All yeah. Right, and guys. I think that there, there, were, there were a
1: couple plays where, uh, where like Tyus Jones went, went coast to coast or nearly coast to coast. And it was cool to see those after the fact in that in that version of the camera because it was like look at how fast we have to move to see chayas jones go coast to coast but yeah i agree other than that it was it,
0: it, it's not fun to watch okay uh so the team that duke will be playing on sunday um yeah you know, and this is the team that i feared we we're gonna have to play um uh, easily one of the best teams left in the tournament um the gonzaga bulldogs who had um, no trouble whatsoever Dealing with uh, the UCLA Bruins, I, I feel very comfortable saying that UCLA was the worst team in the Sweet 16. Um, in fact, UCLA was probably the worst team in the Round of 32. Uh, but somehow they they survived that, made it to the Sweet 16, and then um, rolled over meekly and allowed uh, Gonzaga to win fairly easily without breaking too much for sweat. Um, uh, Gentlemen, Donald, let me let me ask you first of all, what what what's your impressions of Gonzaga? Uh, what's duke going to have to deal with there what are you concerned about when it comes to the bulldogs
1: uh well watching the game tonight um it was kind of hard to gauge because um their big man Karnowski is was just destroying ucla but i don't think ucla had the size to really match him he just kind of looked like a man who was like taking you know like middle schoolers lunch money in in the playground he was he was giving balls on the ground and there'd be three guys on him and he somehow would just kind of maneuver his way around three guys and lay, you know, lay in the basket. Um, and he did that at will for, for most of the game. But, uh, you know, I, you know, Pangos is, is the real deal. He's, you know, as great as advertised. And uh, uh, I think we have to also watch out for uh, Kyle Wilcher, um, who didn't have a good game tonight, but he has been really, you know, one of their main guys this year. Um, you know, as you all know, we, he came from Kentucky. He was, I believe he was on the Kentucky team that won, uh, in 2012. Um, and then yes, transferred he transferred to, and then he transferred to Gonzaga and has been one of their main guys there. So, but he, he didn't have a good game tonight, but I think that uh, that's partly because of Kronoski was just destroying UCLA on the inside. Um, but he's going to be kind of X-factor there with their length, um, uh, with those two guys and Pango's kind of running the point. Um, I, and Gary Bell as well, um, who did a, a decent job tonight. Um, I think those are the guys we need to really look out for. Um, Sabonis off the bench um, had a good game, and I think he also had a good game in the in the round of 32. Um, but I, I think those those guys are easily ma- We can at match up with them, but we're going to have to play a better game than we did tonight.
0: Yeah, Sam, what, what's your what's your take on Gonzaga?
1: First of all, thank you to, to Donald for that. Uh, I, I think that all those points are valid. The thing that I am most concerned about um, is that we saw tonight how. A team can really neutralize Jaleel Okafor, um, and I, I mentioned this in talking about Utah um, that uh, that you know they were they were able to isolate Okafor, and he he tossed a few balls away that that got stolen, um, and he he really got frustrated by their defense. Um, Gonzaga has the size to do a similar thing to what Utah did. The flip side is that Duke showed tonight that Jaleel Okafor can score six points, and it and it won't. Uh, and it won't affect their ability to actually win the game. Um, but Gonzaga is a better version, I think, of the of the Utah team that we saw tonight. So I think we're going to see a similar defensive game plan from the Zags that we saw from the Utes. Um, hopefully, Duke is able to you know uh, to find other ways to score than just relying on Okafor um, getting to the basket. Uh, and and that I think is going to be the the key against Gonzaga.
0: I'm I'm very concerned about their size. Um, th- this is a, a a really, really big team. Uh, you know, you, uh, Donald mentioned the way Karnowski absolutely treated UCLA like they weren't even there. Karnowski, you know, we think of Okafor as big. Karnowski's 7'1", 288, 290 pounds. I mean, that is a, that's a big, big boy. Kyle Wilcher is 6'10", 240, and he takes you outside because he shoots three-pointers really well. Uh, DeMontis Sabonis um Vita Sabonus's son is 610 230. These guys are are man mountains. They're huge and Duke, you know, for the most part lately has gone small. Uh we we have you know, uh, Emil Jefferson by the way, we we didn't mention Emil Emil. I thought had a really nice game, probably his best game in, in several weeks for Duke tonight. Um uh Emil is going to have to play a role for us again in the next game because uh, I'm I'm really concerned. Uh, about the, you know, the notion of of Winslow and Matt Jones um, having to guard uh, Sabonis or or Wiltshire, it, it's it's going to be very tough. Um, the other the other thing to me is it's going to be really interesting to see which of the two teams between Duke and Gonzaga is able to figure out how to shoot at these baskets. Um, as bad as Duke was from the perimeter in this game tonight, with with Justice Winslow being the only player on the team to hit a three pointer. Think about that for a moment. Winston was the only guy on the team who had a three-pointer. Gonzaga was was way worse than Duke from the perimeter. Gonzaga was three of 19 in the game against UCLA. They still blew UCLA's doors off, but they were just three of 19 from three. And uh, you know, Kevin Pangos was one of seven. Kevin Bell was 0 of five. Kyle Wilcher was 0 of three. Well, here's the problem. Pangos and Wiltshire... Those guys usually hit a, you know, well over forty percent of their three pointers. Gary Bell Jr. usually hits around thirty-five to forty percent. Wiltshire hits close to fifty percent of his threes. Um, I, I I really hope they don't figure out how to shoot on these baskets because if they do, it could be really tough. And the the story of the game may be which team is able to you know, get used to playing in the cavernous dome there in Houston and is able to shoot effectively. Um, because, uh, you know, I, I think it's unlikely that both teams are going to have a good day from the perimeter, given what we saw from them in this game. Um, I guarantee you, you're going to see a lot of shooting practice um, uh, in practices for these for these clubs tomorrow. Um, it, it's, it's a game that scares me. It's a game that scares me. Gonzaga, Gonzaga's really good. They haven't. They they didn't get tested a lot in the regular season. They play, you know, in a last conference, and and uh, um, you know they don't really. You know, even their non conference opponents aren't that great. Uh, but um, I'm I'm very worried that they, they are legitimately good enough to win a national title, and we have to get them to even get to the final four. And in fact, hey, Sam, you, you mentioned. Um, uh, let's talk really quick about you know we now know all the final eight games. Um, Sam, give me your impression. In fact, who do you think is going to make the four? We, we know who, who's playing on Saturday and Sunday. Who, who are the four teams that are going to be there?
1: Well, I got I to gotta obviously keep picking us. Um, perennial homer and optimist that I am, um, that I think that Duke is going to figure out how to neutralize that Gonzaga offense, um, whether it's by their own defensive prowess or by uh, the Houston football stadium's defensive prowess. Uh, so I think Duke's coming out. That Louisville, Michigan State game is going to be a disgusting display of basketball. Uh if you guys thought that Virginia, Michigan State was was bad, like Louisville is like you know, is like the gross version of Virginia. Um so I'm not looking forward to watching that game. Um but I think the Michigan State's pull, gonna pull it out. I think that Tom Izzo has the has the magic dust. Um Kentucky, Notre Dame and Wisconsin, Arizona are both going to be awesome basketball games. Um I think we've, we've said, and, and I know that a, nation, a number of national pundits have said, that if Kentucky is going to lose, it's going to be a, to a team like Notre Dame that can just shoot over them, and it doesn't, and it doesn't even bother going inside against them. Um, so I'm looking forward to that uh, because I'm sure that Duke fans and fans of every other, and and every other uh, school that's left uh, would rather Notre Dame take care of Kentucky and not have to do it themselves. Uh, and that Wisconsin-Arizona game is going to be a lot of fun. Both teams are really dynamic. and can move the ball well. I, I suppose and I'm not sure I'd actually pick the winner in the Kentucky game. I think Kentucky's going to win, but I'm not going to be surprised if Notre Dame does. Um, and then in the other one, I think that I like Wisconsin, um, but both of those teams look really strong. And like I said, that, that game and the Kentucky game are both going to be really high quality. Um, I think that college basketball lucked out this year with getting only, you know, really, uh, you, know, to pun, you know, pun intended, I guess, elite teams into the Elite Eight. Uh, and I think, as I mentioned to you earlier, Jason, before we started recording, um, the worst coach, and I, I, I'm trying to remember, where I might have seen this on Twitter, um, the worst coach left in in the tournament is Mike Bray. Uh, and and we all think very highly of him as a former Coach K assistant. Um, he's probably the worst coach left in the tournament. and He's going up against K and Mark Few and, and Bo Ryan and Cal Perry and all the rest of those guys. Um, so it's, uh, it's a really great Elite Eight. I think that college basketball has to be really happy with the teams that are left, even if they're not the top seeds, you know, in the case of Louisville and Michigan State, um, the rest of it looks really great.
0: Yeah, your comment about the coaches, uh, Bray is probably the only one of the guys who are playing who isn't either presently in the Hall of Fame or is extremely, extremely, extremely likely to be in the Hall of Fame, you know, at some point before his career is over. Donald, your turn. Give me your final four picks.
1: So uh, my original final Four is still intact uh you know I, obviously I, I like us against uh, Gonzaga um Louisville is still alive, and I think you know they i I agree with you, Sam it's going to be an ugly game uh, up in the carrier dome. There is going to be a lot of brick laying um in that game, a lot of a lot of scrappiness but i I think that Louisville still can pull that one off and, and make it to the final four and and ensure an aCC team being in the final. Um, on the other side, I, I agree also that the two games tomorrow are probably the highlights of the weekend, um, other than us, of course. Um, I, think, I think Notre Dame gives Kentucky a run for its money, and I think in the end that Kentucky still pulls it out. And Wisconsin, I think, squeaks it out against Arizona. A lot of people are picking Arizona, and for good reason, but I, I think Frank Comiskey, uh, uh, actually uh, is the one that kind of wills them to the finish and gets them to uh, Indianapolis.
0: Uh, so uh, for my final four, um, uh, I, I'm I'm going with Kentucky over Notre Dame, and uh, it, even though I've been the guy, you guys remember the moment the brackets came out, I talked about how much I was dying to see Notre Dame play Kentucky. I think they will give Kentucky a lot of a lot of trouble, but um, I'm looking forward to Duke being the team to beat uh, Kentucky. I, I, I want us to take them out. Um, obviously, I'm going to pick Duke over Gonzaga. Uh, I, I like you guys. I, I like Louisville over Michigan State. Um, I just think Michigan state's been riding a wave that, um, I don't think it can continue and, uh, but good God, what a dreadfully ugly game that's going to be. And, and I'm going to take Arizona over Wisconsin because, uh, they played such a close, tight game last year at this exact point, um, and Wisconsin managed to pull it out. And I think it's just Arizona's turn this time. Um, and I think Arizona's been playing better than Wisconsin the past couple weeks. Um, and I think Arizona's still a little bit mad that they didn't get a number one seed. I think they felt they deserved it. I'll, I'll say one thing about the Final Four. Um, the winner of the Duke-Gonzaga game is going to be a major favorite over the winner of the Louisville-Michigan State game. Um, Their Duke or Gonzaga, I think, are – are really uh, pretty significantly at this point better than Louisville or Michigan state. And I think we caught a little bit of a break with the seedings. And in, in that regard, um, I would not want to be playing, uh, Wisconsin or Arizona on Saturday and then looking forward to, you know, probably Kentucky on, on Monday instead, you know, maybe, hopefully, uh, if we get there, we may get the slightly easier game. And as a result, may, uh, uh, Maybe may a little tiny bit more rested. If we have to to play that Kentucky juggernaut, uh, gentlemen, we don't need a player of the week, do we? I'm picking Justice Winslow. Are either of you picking someone other than Justice Winslow? Nope. No. Yeah, That's what I figured, uh, gentlemen. Uh, so, uh, do we have any parting thoughts? Anything we want to want to say before uh, we, we we go away for about 48 hours, <laughs> and then and then come back and hopefully talk about Duke making the Final Four again.
1: Yeah. Um, Let's let's have it be less hectic next time. (laughs) I was going to make a note for everyone out there that the game has been set for a five Oh five Eastern tip off. So mark your calendars and tell whoever, uh, that you made dinner plans with that you were going to be a little bit late because basketball is going to be on.
0: I love it. I love it. So, uh, that's it for us here on the DBR podcast. Thanks for joining us for this hastily thrown together. And, uh, and rushed from different strange corners of the earth to to bring it to you, um, coming to you from a Hooters parking lot from Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, panting from uh, his Washington, D.C. home. I am Jason Evans, my colleagues Sam Klein and Donald Wine. We all thank you so much for, uh, for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you after the game on Sunday. Go Devils, beat Zaga. Let's go back to the Final Four.
1: Let's do it.